Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Gabriel Weinberg. He is the founder and CEO of DuckDuckGo, the search engine that doesn't track you. And he's also the co-author of a book we're going to talk about today, Traction, How Any Startup Can Achieve Explosive Growth. So Gabriel, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey, let's talk a little bit for a minute about DuckDuckGo. Um, what's it like being in the search engine business these days? It is always interesting. <laughs> um, it is, excuse me, it is such a huge market and, yeah. um, you know, it's changing so rapidly as, you know, half of searches now are on mobile. I don't know if anyone realizes that. Oh, yeah. Most people don't necessarily think of themselves search MO, but it's true. And so things are changing just so rapidly. Yeah. So DuckDuckGo is probably one of the top, st- still probably one of the top 500, 600 sites online, maybe traffic wise. Would that, is that, a, yeah, a no, metric you fair. And then, um, you know, we're included in the iPhone now as a default search engine option um, and in Mozilla Firefox. So, you know, it, it's really easy to switch to us in basically any browser. And so your big idea for starting yet another search engine is? <laughs> um, orig- so I, this is a while ago, right? So I started working on this in 2007. Um my initial impetus was to improve my own Google results, if you can believe that. So I wanted to remove more spam and content farms and add more instant answers, like going directly to Wikipedia mm. and IMDb. But shortly after I launched, um, I also realized, you know, to make the best search experience would be to not track people. Um, and so one of the things we do to differentiate from Google is, you know, we are a private search engine. So when you search on DuckDuckGo, you're anonymous, which means all those ads that follow you around the Internet. That no longer happens as much. Um, people also don't realize they get charged different prices on retailers, um, which people are huh. starting to get annoyed about. Yeah. Um, so all, all that digital footprint is reduced when you use DuckDuckGo. Yeah, and 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 the results. I mean, I you know I'm a fan, uh, and I think the results just are less cluttered. I mean, it's ridiculous how much real estate is used up in the ads uh, now on a Google search. Uh, it's pretty incredible. So how does one make money with a search engine like DuckDuckGo? The unique proposition of search is you don't need to track people to make money in search. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, it's simply because you type in what you want. So you type in books or car or mortgage, and you get a mortgage ad, and I can serve you that ad without knowing anything about you. Yeah. So it's all based on, on the intent without actually adding the layers of, over layers that allows Google to go out and sell ads in a different way. Yeah, they, and the reason for that is, you know, people don't necessarily realize is Google runs advertising networks that go on millions and millions of sites that aren't Google. Yeah. Uh, and to make those effective, they need that intent yeah. across the web. Yeah. So one of the things I think is interesting, we're going to get to, uh, to talking about uh, Traction, your book, uh, found at tractionbook.com, is that you used a few of the things you talk about in the book uh, to help grow DuckDuckGo, I assume. Yeah, I mean, we ran uh, the same framework presented in the book, and you know, essentially, core messages find a core marketing channel out of the nineteen right. kind of universal ones we identified um, that'll get you to your goal. And you know, search is so big that you know we've reached diminishing returns, essentially maxing out saturation of volume on the channels we've grown. So we've switched from um, SEO at the beginning to content marketing to social ads to PR, to business development. That was the Apple, Safari, and Mozilla deals. Each one of those was like a year, basically, yeah. of growing. Yeah. Um, we started out about 10,000 searches a month. Now we're at 300 million. Um, and we're honestly back to the drawing board at figuring out what channel. 
to focus yeah. on next. Yeah, and that's we're going to get into that because that's really the heart of the book. Um, and uh, but one one thing I'd like to to suggest at least is you know you're there there can we say a couple? There's at least one Goliath in, in, <laughs> yeah. in, in, in search. Name the elephant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least one. Uh, and, and a lot of people, I think, would look at that and say, well, that's that's really hard because they're so big. But in some ways, does that also make them easy to pick on? Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing about um, marketing and channels and scale is if something is really big, that means they don't want to be concerned with things that they think are too small for them, right? Yeah. Um, so that enables you to go after niches and, and beachheads, if you will, that the big incumbents won't do. And for a lot of reasons, maybe can't do, yeah. which is kind of our thesis. Um, you know, Google really can't turn off their tracking spigot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we can serve as that beacon of trust for the percentage of users who really want, you know, a private, more private experience online. And I think that's a really great point because a lot of times people are like, well, what's my difference? How do I be different? And, you know, a lot of times looking at those little things that that maybe Google does that annoys people – I'm using Google in this example that, – that annoys people. But as you said, they're not going to do anything about it because it also leads to billions and billions of dollars. And so going after that thing that – Assuming there's somebody that values privacy and that values not being tracked and whatnot, then you know that's your core point of difference to go and and make your beachhead on. Yeah. So, what is traction? So I think traction you could look at it two ways. One is a strict definition: um, Do you have it or do you not have it? I think if you have it, you have customer engagement. Yeah. So in some sense, it's customer engagement. Um, in a more strict um, you know sense, you can measure it and say it's a point at which makes an inflection point in your company. So the amount of traction you need to raise money or be profitable or you know prove the product market fit, that's a very specific amount of customer demand that you can you can make quantitative. So would you say that traction is a stage? I mean that 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 a startup is in traction or you know some kind of company is in traction but they're trying to move towards you know measured growth or something? I think essentially traction is growth and any company can have more traction. They can get bigger and grow bigger. But I think you can either have traction or not have traction. And if you don't have traction, you have no real customer engagement. So we might almost um, uh, say it it might be compared to momentum or something uh, of of that nature. That might be too too specific. but Yeah, exactly. And and, and to be honest, I – our advice and my advice to go is to get quantitative as quickly as possible. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I think step zero is to get a particular traction goal, which is like a hard number you're trying to hit and have a reason for why that is the number you're trying to hit. Yeah. So there's a lot of books on startups uh, these days, a lot of books on, I mean, in fact, a lot of money being pumped in and attention, media attention, you know, pumped in uh, to startups. So, was there something missing from you know the lean startup landscape? Uh, you know all the books that are out there that have that have gotten a lot of traction. Was there something missing that that, that compelled you to want to add uh, this particular uh, chapter? Yes, yes. <laughs> this was a passion project, you know, many years in the making, um, and really I was only doing it because I felt it. it, it, it there was a void there to fill, yeah. and namely that void is there's no good um, structured framework for getting traction. So. You know, Lean and other things like Business Model Canvas and other mm-hmm. ones had good frameworks for you know helping you figure out what product to build generally, um, but not exactly how to go out and find the channel that's going to get you growth. 
And so generally what we saw, what I saw, and what happened to me at DuckDuckGo when I first started was, you know, very much focus on product, f- solving a customer need, but not necessarily figuring out how to market that product. And tons of startups have died just in that, sure. you know, sad after launch period. <laughs> yeah. So c- c- could you make a case for, um, let's see how I was going to ask this. You know, a lot of times people create product, even if they do nice discovery, they go out and they create this product and then they go out there and say, okay, come and get it. Um, could could you make a case for using traction principles even before you've actually created your product to build community, to build demand, to find actually where there is a, a, a gaping need? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I my advice is to do it immediately. Yeah. And the metaphor I like to use is the leaky bucket, right? So when you start, you're, you have a very leaky bucket. If you pour customers in, they're going to flow out, right? Um, and so people's tendency is to wait and say, oh, I can't get anybody in until I get the, mm-hmm. the leaks filled. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they go wrong because they can't actually find the leaks by themselves. You need a constant stream of fresh eyes to tell you where those leaks are. You're, you're kind of too close to your product. Yeah. Additionally, if you do that, you find what you're talking about. You get additional data. You get figure out what channel to focus on, what marketing message to use, what niche to focus on. So when you actually launch, you have a credible distribution strategy. So yeah, earlier, earlier, earlier. Yeah. So I'm speaking with Gabriel Weinberg, the the author of uh, the book Traction. Uh, you can find it at tractionbook.com. And so we've mentioned this idea of channels. And I'm going to tell you know you 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 have 19 chapters basically going over the the 19 channels that you believe are available uh, to us as business owners today. And I'm not going to ask you to go through all 19 by the book. You, <laughs> you'll you'll get to see all those 19. But I think that that I, I've been doing this a long time, and and you know maybe six or eight channels is what we had when I started. Um, and so I think that this idea of, of channels, um, multiple channels or more channels presents great opportunity, but it also presents great pressure and frustration for a lot of businesses because they think they have to be in all of them. Um, and I think that um, one of the things I love about your book or your framework is that you're suggesting that the, the key to traction is focus. You want to talk a little about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit counterintuitive because, like you said, there's so many. But what we found in all the research and in my personal experience is when any company is really taking off, there's really one core yeah. marketing channel strategy. Now, it might be the case that you know a couple things feed into it. So if you're focused on content marketing, you know you may put some paid social behind it, or if you're focused on viral marketing, you know it might be built off of email. But you're you're still focused on that one strategy. And so really, the key is looking at that universe. And, you know, finding that one channel that'll get you to grow. And when you think about it that way, it's a less daunting problem because um, you really just going through a testing period to find that channel and then you're focusing on it. You know, it's interesting. Of course, you are talking about startups for the most part in this book. But, you know, I've worked with thousands of businesses now and and some that, you know, I'm thinking of one uh, in the last year that had been in business 15, 20 years, had grown to about $20 million but was really stalled. Their channel was sales. Um, I mean, that's pretty much how they got all their business. And and so where they were really struggling was, okay, the world is changing a little. How do we now – you know, branch out into these new channels. And I, I think your framework is just as applicable to that somewhat mature business as it is to a startup. Yeah, I mean, and I've used it in DuckDuckGo, and we've had that problem, you know, five times now, unfortunately, yeah. in search engine. It's so big that we, we run into this problem, and we run to it every year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you have to keep adjusting. It's the same, it's really the same framework. I mean, you got to find another channel that will get you that next stage of growth. 
Are there certain channels um, in, in your mind that, that really lend themselves to startups? So if somebody came to you and you knew not that much about their business, but but they asked you out for, in a crowd from a speaking event, hey, you know, I, if I'm going to focus on one or two channels, what should they be? Uh, do you have some kind of pat answers for, yeah, these channels tend to lend themselves to startups and you should start here? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. One is when you first start out, that goal is really important, right? Yep. So with startups in particular, at the beginning, they're often not looking for that many customers. Um, and so they don't have to scale it right away. And from that angle, you, you mentioned speaking engagements. That's one that often gets totally overlooked. Like when you're literally just starting out, often going to speak in front of the right audience can get you that initial customer base you want. <laughs> yeah, totally um, agree. Totally and agree. totally overlooked. Yeah. So that, that's one I'm always recommending. The other one is, is blog and content marketing um, because – it, it's the one that really helps you craft your story and most relates to you know figuring out what product and niche and audience you should really be focused on right away. Yeah, and I think the nature of publishing in a public forum like that too is you 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 have the opportunity to get some feedback. Uh, maybe that feedback is nobody's listening, you know. But right, but, exactly. But but that, it, that's another reason the speaking one works too. Yeah, is yeah. You, you literally after the, you talk, you start actually talking to people. Right, you know. Right. 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 Um, so. Many of the uh, examples – in fact, I want to go to the interviews. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, uh, most of the channels you interviewed one or more uh, players that was you know, using one of these channels. So I'll put you on the spot as an author. Did you have a favorite interview? Yeah, I, I, I did. Um, I hesitate because I like all of our interviews. Well, exactly. I uh, get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, like Noah Kagan who ran yeah. marketing at Mint yeah. just yeah. really had – has such a good eye for marketing and really ran this process well. Um, and they, you know, they're a company that was acquired for like $200 million 18 months in, you know? Yep. Um, but he really just ran it so perfectly. He set an example of a hundred thousand, um, users for, within six months. And they, they really made a spreadsheet of all the different channels and made different tests, eventually focused on targeting blogs. And then what I liked about him so much is, what you really want to do once you focus, and in their case about targeting blogs earlier, they they ran continue to run tests within that channel to find underutilized cutting edge tactics that really spiked their growth. And so for them, they paid personal bloggers that didn't have ads on their sites, got super high click throughs through that. Um, and they also did this whole velvet rope strategy where if you got invited, invited friends early, you got to jump the line in the beta. Um, completely innovative stuff. And so hats off to him. Yeah, and, and uh, um, I'm sure when you interviewed him, he was wearing flip-flops and shorts. Uh, yeah, right. Too. He knows how to live, And he's got a great, uh, great, great startup of his own uh, now called Sumo Me um, that uh, um, you know, puts out some great, uh, great tools for, uh, for WordPress uh, blogs. Yeah, we also recommend, by the way. We use yeah. it on um, TractionBook.com. So many of the examples certainly are online – um, examples uh, for for natural reasons, but do you believe that some of the the approaches and and a lot of times the startup plumber, for example, you know, has maybe trouble saying, oh, well, that's great. You're talking about you know this company that sells software, so naturally they go to bloggers. Uh, can this can can this framework apply to that more brick and mortar mom and pop kind of business? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the channels are offline channels. And yeah. what's funny is some of the people we um, interviewed are the opposite. They were online businesses who grew most through offline channels. Hmm. Um, 
But I, I think that opposite can help too. And, and really the reality that we found was the most underutilized channels for the industry have the best like click-through rates or conversions. Um, and so if you're if you're the plumber and all your plumber friends are all using like the local classified ads yep. um, or whatever they're doing, um, you going somewhere else where they, no one is, is is probably your best bet. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think the general framework of just testing different channels to find where the highest conversion is is generally applicable. Yeah, that's um, this is interesting too because so many people get caught in that. Oh, you know, nobody in our industry does that, <laughs> and, right. and that might actually that might actually be some magical words. That's but, a sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so how do you um, find and, and focus on that core channel? Because believe me, I mean, I hear it every single day. You know. I got to be in this and I got to be in that and I got to be. And so, so, you know, how do we let people off the hook and say, no, let, let's find those two or three at the most. I mean, that's where it comes quantitative. And yeah. we really say, you know, put, put some hard numbers as to what your cost per acquisition are in these channels. What, you know, are the scalability of them and are they the right type of customers? And if you do that and you look across channels, it's generally the case that you're getting most of your good, you know, leads from one place. Yeah. Um, and then you're like, well, why am I doing these other activities? Because I could focus on that one that's working and just do better at it. Yeah. Um, and so that's how you need to do is you need to get into an area where you can compare and see for yourself that one's way better. You know, one thing that I have been preaching for maybe 10 years, but certainly very hard the last five years as, as more and more people have gotten fractured in these channels is that, you know, when we work with organizations, so let's say we find sales to be their primary channel, but they know they need to, to, to branch out. Instead of just saying, okay, now we're going to do content marketing, um, I, I use this term convergence. You know, we try to find a couple channels that we can converge with sales. So we can say, okay, if we're going to do content marketing, we're going to use it to make our salespeople better, or we're going to use it to help our salespeople get involved in the customer journey at an earlier point. Uh, not just say, okay, now we're going to run off and do content marketing and see if that works. Um, I wonder if, um, uh, if you've had any experience with that idea of, of kind of leveraging your channel that works, not just simply trying to find new channels. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I think focusing really is. If you're focusing, now you're brainstorming how to use all the other channels to feed into your core strategy. And I think you're still looking for underutilized ways to do that. So like like you said, in sales, it might be finding a way to, you know, use content marketing in some interesting way or even, you know, viral marketing through referrals of your existing customer base. Um, but you only really need to switch that core channel if you think, it totally won't get you to your next goal. Yeah, because I've actually found in some cases, you know, combining several channels actually amplifies in a way that you could, you know, maybe you've stalled out in sales because, you know, the, the tactic that you're using in sales is kind of fizzled out a little bit. It's harder to get people to answer the phone, you know, that kind of thing. But but when you combine some of these other channels to open doors for you or to get you more appointments, all of a sudden sales can take off again. Yeah, when you think about it that way, it changes the whole dynamic because you're not thinking about it. Oh, I'm going over here to get new leads completely in that other right, channel. Right. You're thinking about, yeah, how do I amplify? And, and that to me is a focusing step. Yeah. So in, in the book, do you, um, do, do you have a, do you suggest a framework for how to systematically test new channels? Yeah, we do. Um, we, we really are trying to answer those same three questions. I mean, they're basically universal questions put a little bit of money behind something, maybe free, to find how much it costs to acquire a customer, how scalable it is, and you know, are they good customers? Right. Um, and we offer 
you know, because people really have a hard time understanding maybe how to test some of these ones they've never been familiar with. So we offer a few suggestions in the book for each channel about how you might do that for mm-hmm. about less than a month and less than a thousand dollars. Yeah, and I think one of the keys, and it seems like I say this every show, uh, obviously you have to be fanatical about tracking, about uh, yeah, yes. your your analytics, and and that's that's actually as, as obvious as that sounds. That's in my experience one of the greatest challenges for growth is that, yeah, pe- I mean, that people aren't doing it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the activities, and you, you know, I'm sure you reach out in the consulting, is, you know, it's everything's out of people's comfort zone, and that's really the crux of the psychological problem. Is a lot of people are averse to kind of getting down to the numbers here, yeah. um, but you kind of got to get over that bump. Another another one that feels out of the comfort zone is they're worried about if they, you know, run these tests that they're going to fail or <laughs> waste money on it. But the reality is, to get to somewhere good, you have to do a bunch of tests, and a lot of them are going to fail. Um, so you, you kind of have to get over some of these psychological barriers. Yeah, and I, and obviously that comes from you know an organizational from the top down. I mean, a t- an organization's got to be willing to say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna put some money over here, or we're gonna we're gonna create this laboratory <laughs> over here that will let us test some of these things without um, without sort of prejudging uh, what's going to happen." Right. You don't want to assign someone to content marketing for a few months and if right. it doesn't work fire them <laughs> exactly uh, t- we're on facebook and we're not getting any business from it so we're going to stop that yeah so um well gabriel thanks so much for joining us traction how any startup can achieve explosive growth this is really to me uh, a must read and i found it an amazingly quick read and, and that doesn't suggest that a book is is light it actually suggests that a book is well written and uh, and and this certainly uh, the stories and the things that uh, that carry you through this book uh, really great so appreciate you joining me and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there on the road thank you it's my pleasure <laughs>